Let's start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Paul writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Those words, those two verses, are the core command in this last chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now let's break down this command piece by piece, one at a time. First, you have that command, be watchful. Now Paul's made it clear that there are multiple threats to the vitality of this local church in Corinth. Celebrating sin within the church can decay it from the inside out. Likewise, secular culture outside of the church can influence the church too much, to the point that it loses its identity, to the point that it loses its distinctiveness from the world around it. So be watchful. Part two, stand firm in the faith. Paul reminded them of the gospel that he preached to them, which they received, in which they stand, and by which they are being saved. We talked about that in chapter 15. Paul reminded them that Christ was crucified for their sins. And God rose him from the grave, according to the scriptures. Paul makes it clear, don't ever abandon that good news. Don't ever leave it behind. Don't think you're too advanced for it. Stand firm in that gospel. Even in those moments when you're wrestling with doubt, or the world around you thinks that you're foolish for believing it, like many of the Corinthians may have thought, Paul makes it clear, stand firm. And the faith that I delivered to you. Another part of the command, act like men. Act like men. Now Paul's not talking about some silly, stereotypical, superficial understanding of manliness. He's not telling them to watch more football and eat more red meat. He's challenging them to mature. That's the idea. In chapter 3, Paul referred to the Corinthians as infants in Christ. He said, you're infants in Christ. You're like babies. Now, we're all infants in Christ at one point in our faith, right? When we first come to a knowledge of what God has done for us. But Paul makes it clear that these Corinthians and we Christians today simply can't be content to stay that way forever. We mustn't be content to just be spiritual infants in Christ, to be babies Paul makes it clear that we must mature, that we must grow up. The next part of the command, be strong, be strong. No one in the pages of scripture, including Jesus himself, ever said that following him would be easy. Suffering will come. Opposition will inevitably rear its ugly head. And these Corinthians, or even us today, we won't be able to withstand all of this by our own strength. But God can, and God will strengthen them for this task, for this calling, for this identity. So be strong. And finally, the last part, let all that you do be done in love. Remember that passage in chapter 13? The passage that we always read at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't boast, it's not rude, all that stuff. Well, if you remember back in the entirety of 1 Corinthians, it becomes clear that the Corinthians were failing to love. They really weren't loving. They were guilty of the exact opposite of love. 
Well, Paul reminds them of the centrality of love in the life of the church. But love isn't always easy, is it? Sometimes love requires writing a letter to a church that you care about to correct them, even though the letter might come across as harsh. Sometimes love means disciplining a member of your church in order that they might come to repentance of their sin, even if it seems to be cruel to the outside world. That command, let all that you do be done in love, it sounds warm and it sounds fuzzy until you think about how difficult love can actually be sometimes. Everything in this last chapter revolves around those two verses, verses 13 and 14, that final command that Paul issues to this church. And if you wanted to sum up that command as a whole, you might go back to those two words we mentioned a few moments ago. Grow up. Grow up in your faith. Grow up with the strength that God provides for you. Grow up in your love. But what does it look like for a church to grow up? What are the signs, what are the symptoms of a church that actually is growing up? And why should growing up matter to their church in Corinth? And why should growing up matter to our church in Fishers today, a long way away from first century Corinth? Well, for that, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, last chapter of the book. Feel free to use one of the Bibles that we provide, and if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one home with you when you leave. But before we do any further reading, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful weather uh, that we've had this weekend. Uh, Yesterday it was certainly rainy and it was certainly cooler, and that reminds us that fall is coming. Uh, It's getting really close, and here in just a month or two, uh, we'll see some beautiful, beautiful displays of your power and your creativity uh, in the world around us. Father, thank you that you not only created everything we see, but you sustain everything that we see. That you give us life, you give us breath, that we simply have the privilege of existing in a world that you made. But Father, thank you even more that we don't just exist but we exist to be in relationship with you. That you have revealed yourself to us through your word and through your son Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Father, thank you that we have the honor of reading your word, of coming together, taking communion, praying together, simply doing the things that you call us to do as a family in Christ, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that those would never lose their significance, that we would never overlook them, they would never become just another routine, just another thing to check off the list, but every single time we come here and every single time your word is opened and every single time we bow our heads in prayer, that we would just be in awe of the privilege that we have of being called your children and calling you our father. Thank you for 1 Corinthians, everything that you've taught us through it, everything that you teach us today, and I pray that as we leave here this morning, through the example of this church in Corinth, that we would be challenged and encouraged and convicted and inspired to grow up in ways that honor you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin reading verse 1 of chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, 
Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable to me that I should go also, they will accompany me. So in the first four verses of chapter 16, Paul gives us one clear symptom of a church that is growing up. And that symptom is generosity. Paul commands the church in Corinth to give of their finances for the sake of Jerusalem. He goes into more detail in 2 Corinthians, mentioning that this is specifically for the believers in Jerusalem who are poor. Now, Paul does not give some clear-cut formula about how much to give. He doesn't say 5% or 10% or 20%. He simply tells them to give as they have been given by God. To give as they have prospered. To be generous. Now, this generosity is meant to be a core part of their weekly worship gathering. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how the primary function of public corporate worship is to fix our eyes on God rather than turning everyone's eyes onto ourselves. Because the worship that fixes our eyes on God instead of on us, well, that kind of worship builds up believers. And that kind of worship can convict unbelievers of sin, which is the whole point of gathering together. Now, this Sunday morning worship, this public corporate service, that includes several different components. It includes the gift of prophecy, someone delivering God-inspired speech. It includes the practice of communion, proclaiming Christ's death on the cross until he comes. But just as importantly, it includes giving. Sunday morning worship includes generosity. Now, this giving that Paul talks about is meant to extend far beyond their church. I mean, when you think about it, why should they give their hard-earned money to the believers in Jerusalem? Why? They don't know these people. They've never met them before. They probably never will meet them in the future. They're probably never likely to serve together in any meaningful capacity. Why can't they just keep all the money for their church, the church in Corinth? They could maybe use a gym at the church in Corinth, right? Well, it goes far beyond them because of something Paul said earlier in the book. Way back in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So the reason Paul wants the Corinthians to give to the poor believers in Jerusalem instead of just hoarding all the money for their individual church is because even, those believe, even though those believers may be far away, even though they may never meet those believers, they are their brothers and sisters. They've believed the same gospel that these Corinthians have believed. They believe that Christ died for their sins. They believe that God raised Christ from the dead. They're being sanctified by the same Holy Spirit that these Corinthian believers are being sanctified by. Simply put, they are their brothers and sisters in Christ. They are called to be saints together. So Paul says, give generously to your fellow believers, not just hoarding it for yourselves. Now, in the same way, your giving here at Prairie View is about a whole lot more than just 
keeping our lights on or fixing our air conditioners or paying our mortgage. All those things matter. All those things are important. But your giving goes far beyond that. It goes to help fellow believers meet their needs. It goes to help fellow believers do fruitful ministry in places a long way away to people that you and I will probably never meet. If you want to really see some kind of obvious return on investment, there might not be one. Sometimes we give money to people to support them, to show our love for them, to show our care for them, and there's absolutely nothing in it for us. There's no tangible benefit for our church at all. But we give generously anyway. Because Paul commands us to support those and love those and care for those who are called to be saints with us. Even if they're a long way away. And even if we've never met them and never will. So, Paul commands the Corinthians to grow up. And one way to show that is through their generosity. Now that's a good place to start, but that's not all Paul says in chapter 16. I mean, let's be real. If you're a cynical person, a critical person, you could say, well, you know what? A lot of people are willing to write a check. A lot of people can throw money at a problem, sometimes for the wrong reasons. Sometimes people give out of guilt. Sometimes people give just to show off. Sometimes people give just to make themselves feel better, right? There has to be more to a church growing up than just giving. Well, Paul addresses that in verse 5. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Verse 9 is a great little summary of Paul's whole ministry, isn't it? A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. He almost sounds excited about it. Well, Paul's a weirdo in that way. Verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, For I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So growing up churches aren't just generous, according to Paul. Growing up churches welcome those who teach sound doctrine. Paul says that he plans to visit soon. He has to go through Macedonia. He's going to spend some time in Ephesus. But he does hope to come, not just as a pit stop, but he really wants to spend some time with these believers who he cares about so much. Now, between now and then, in the meantime, he's going to send Timothy for a visit to check in on how they're doing with all these corrections that he's given them in this letter. If you remember Timothy, Timothy's the young guy, young church leader who Paul greatly loved, greatly cared for, kind of Paul's mentee. He's going to dispatch Timothy to check things out. And then, of course, he urged Apollos to go. If you remember him from chapter 1, Apollos had other plans, unfortunately. He didn't plan to stop by Corinth at this very time. 
Now, all these men, Paul and Timothy and Apollos, who are thinking they're going to visit maybe sometime soon, you kind of have to ask yourself, what kind of reception will they receive? Because Paul just wrote a letter that was pretty rough at times. Paul wrote a letter that could sometimes come across as harsh. 1 Corinthians is very much a letter of tough love. So maybe Paul is thinking to himself, you know what, I'm going to stop by. I'm looking forward to spending time with these Corinthians. But how are they going to receive me? Am I going to get welcomed? Or am I going to be rejected? How are they going to receive Timothy? How are they going to receive Apollos? In the same way, a church that is growing up welcomes those who teach sound doctrine. Even when sound doctrine might be confrontational, when it might convict us, when sound doctrine might be tough to swallow. I mean, think about it. A good teacher, a good parent, a good mentor, a good friend. That's someone who's willing to call us out when they need to for our own good. Not to hurt our feelings, not to discourage us, not to frustrate us, but because they love us. That's the kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy and Apollos had with these Corinthians. What kind of welcome are they going to receive? When we talk with someone who cares about us and they call us out on sin, they challenge us to address problems in our lives, in our beliefs, The question always is, how will we respond? Growing up churches welcome that. They welcome that accountability. They welcome that critique. Churches that are immature, that are not growing up, they cast those people out. Because they don't say what we want to hear. Because they don't say things that make us feel good about ourselves. Growing up churches welcome those who teach sound doctrine. So, give generously, welcome these teachers. Those are good signs for a church that is really growing up. Those are good symptoms. But there's one more thing that Paul mentions almost in passing. You'd be tempted to just read over it. But it's still very important. Chapter 16, verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirits as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. So growing up churches are generous. Growing up churches welcome sound teachers who teach sound doctrine even when it's confrontational, and growing up churches submit to good, godly leaders. Specifically, Paul mentions this household of Stephanus. If you remember back in chapter 1, there's some of the few people in Corinth who were baptized by Paul. And here they're identified as the first converts to the faith in that province of the Roman Empire. That's a pretty bold claim, a pretty big claim, right? I mean, imagine if one of us was able to say, you know, I was, the first, I was the first Christian in Hamilton County. I was the first Christian in Fishers. That's an impressive little title there, isn't it? And presumably, this household of Stephanus, as some of the earliest Christians in their area, people baptized by Paul himself, presumably they'd be pretty loyal to Paul. 
as their spiritual father. Presumably, Paul would have appointed people like that as leaders of their church in Corinth. So Paul tells these Corinthians to subject themselves to fellow workers like these. Because these fellow workers, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, they have a proven track record of love for God's people. They have a proven track record of love for Christ. A proven track record of love for the church in Corinth. Like we've mentioned so many times before, when we're talking about subjection or submission to leadership, we're not talking about blind or naive submission to anyone in the church who has a title next to their name. That's not what we're talking about. But we are called to submit to those who have proven their love for Christ, proven their love for us, and have proven their love for our church. Men like Stephanus, men like Fortunatus, Achaicus, they've proven that. They've shown it. They have the credibility. And so Paul says, Corinthians, submit to leaders like these. And the same goes for us. But then just like that, abruptly, suddenly, the letter ends. Verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Whatever that means. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Just like that, it's over. Chapter 16 seems kind of boring. Seems kind of anticlimactic after all the controversy, all the confrontation of the previous chapters, right? All the other chapters, they were interesting. They were practical issues. But here it's just name dropping and a few greetings. Doesn't seem that exciting. The only part that may be a little bit exciting is greet one another with a holy kiss. That's kind of exciting if you have someone next to you that you're crushing on. But other than that... The chapter is a little bit boring, right? It's a little bit lame. Now, while it may be easy for us to read over a closing chapter of a book, because it is just greetings, it is just names, that command in verses 13 and 14 that we read earlier, that command actually gives us a lot to think about. So let's read that one more time. Verse 13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Grow up. Grow up. But before we close, think about that command, verses 13 and 14, in light of everything that Paul has said in this letter. What does it look like for this church in Corinth to grow up, to act like men? Well, it looks like a lot of different things, doesn't it? For this church in Corinth, growing up means stop division over whose teacher has the most impressive rhetoric, because that's the world's idea of wisdom, but it's not God's idea of wisdom. For them, growing up means to stop ignoring, condoning, or even celebrating sexual sin within the church. For these Corinthians, growing up means to stop letting relationships break down over silly, trivial disputes. 
For these Corinthians, growing up means to stop putting their own interests ahead of the interests of their brothers and sisters in Christ. For these Corinthians, growing up means to stop making public worship all about them rather than about God. For these Corinthians, growing up means to stop neglecting the importance of good, sound teaching on Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. For these Corinthians, growing up means being generous. It means accepting those teachers who love them, even when those teachers call them out on sin. For them, growing up means to submit to godly leaders who have proven their love for them and who have proven their love for Christ. Grow up. Now, when you consider the whole context of the letter, not just chapter 16, but everything Paul has said so far, that challenge in verses 13 and 14 becomes a little more intimidating, doesn't it? It becomes a little bit greater of a challenge. If you think about all the issues that Paul has addressed, growing up for this church, it looks like a pretty tall order. It sounds like a lot of pressure to perform. Because they were immature in some pretty significant ways. And if this is what it looks like for a church to grow up, to act like men, then we've got a lot of work to do, don't we? Is probably what the Corinthians are thinking. It may even be what you're thinking as you look at our church. You may see imperfections in our church and think, man, we are a long way from growing up. You may find yourself in despair you may find yourself discouraged by this challenge. But before you get too discouraged, remember this. We will not be perfect in this life, as individuals or as a church. It's just a fact. There will never be a point when we are truly fully grown, where we no longer have any growing up left to do. That's simply not going to happen. God knows that. And yet he still calls us his children anyway because of what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. What Christ did for us on our behalf. We as individual Christians and we as a collective church, like we've talked about this whole seven-week series, we will be beautiful and ugly at the same time. We will have moments where we're growing up And we will have moments where we appear to be really immature and really have a lot to work on. But the good news is that God in his grace still loves us. And God in his grace can still use us, even as we have so much growing up left to do. And that doesn't change the fact. That doesn't negate the fact that the church is still meant to be a place of transformation. The church is still meant to be a place of growth. The whole idea is that a Christian can't come to a place where the Holy Spirit is living and active, where the word is proclaimed, where brothers and sisters in Christ form authentic community around us. We can't come to a place like that and not be changed. We can't come to a place like that and not be matured and not be grown. The church is a place where God grows us up together even as we long for the day when we die or when Christ returns, that we are fully perfected and fully grown once and for all. A church that is beautiful and ugly at the same time is a church that is full of people who are both saints and sinners at the same time. 
people who still have a whole lot of growing up left to do in Christ and yet are being grown by the word and by the Holy Spirit slowly but surely and methodically. And that kind of church that isn't perfect, that is both beautiful and ugly, that kind of church can still bring God great glory if we allow him to simply use us, if we allow him to grow us. Even after this letter was written, 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth didn't always get things right. From everything that we piece together between 1 and 2 Corinthians, it's possible that Timothy's visit that Paul mentioned didn't really go that well. Timothy's visit may not have been without problems. Old issues would still exist in Corinth. New issues would arise. And things would get bad enough that Paul later had to make a painful visit to address them, a visit that he may not have originally planned to make. You can read more about that in 2 Corinthians. But even in our moments of maturity, even in our flaws, even in our ups and downs of growth, those moments where we wish we would grow faster, those moments where we wish we would have any growth at all, the good news is that God doesn't abandon us because Christ died for our sins and Christ rose from the grave according to the scriptures. And nothing that we say and nothing that we do changes that. So I pray that God would give every single one of us an earnest desire to grow up. That he would give us an earnest desire to mature for his glory. And I pray that our church would continue to grow up in good, meaningful, God-honoring ways. Even if those ways aren't always as flashy or glamorous or consistent or quick as we wish they were. And don't doubt for a second that God has the power to grow us up together. He does. He's doing it at this very moment. He's growing you, and he's growing me. So let's pray together that he would grow our church, that we would grow in our generosity, that we would grow in our submission to sound doctrine, that we would grow in our submission to godly leaders. And that we would look more and more and more every single day, little by little, like the church that God calls us to be. Let's pray. Father, we read that command in verses 13 and 14. To grow up, to let all that we do be done in love, to be strong, to stand firm in the faith. And many of us probably think to ourselves, man, I don't know that I'm doing any of that stuff. But Father, you and your grace still care for us. You still love us. You sent your son to die for us. And you raised him from the grave. And that gives us hope. And that gives us encouragement. And that gives us joy. Even in those moments where we look in the mirror And we feel like there's so much growth that still needs to happen. I pray that as we look at our church, as we see a church that is beautiful in some ways and ugly in other ways, at a church that sometimes get things right and sometimes we don't get things right, I pray that you would continue to grow us up. That you would continue to use us 
Not because we've got it together so well, not because we do everything perfectly all the time, but rather because you can use us even in our weakness, even in our sin, even in our mistakes. So, Father, grow us up together. Again, grow us up in ways that honor you. We might have ideas in our mind of what it means to grow up in good ways. Some of us would look at a church that is growing up and assume it's growing up just because it has big numbers or a big budget or a big building or a big staff. But, Father, those ways aren't necessarily the ways that you want for us. And if that's not the case, that's okay. I pray that we would grow up in the way that you see fit, whatever that looks like, whatever results come, and that we would be content to simply be the church that you call us to be. Thank you that you've promised to grow us up, that you do not leave us forever as infants in Christ, but you're working on us through your word and through your Holy Spirit and through our brothers and sisters to challenge and encourage and convict us and hold us accountable. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for 1 Corinthians. I pray that as we leave here that you would take the things that you've taught us, take the things that we've learned, and would apply them not just for our own good, but for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer your questions, happy to pray with you, happy to do whatever it is that you might need to do this morning. They're happy to do that. I encourage you to do that as we sing this last song. And again, we're very grateful that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. Be safe as you leave. Enjoy the beautiful weather. And I hope we'll see you again soon.